Searching for last-minute gifts? Shop the last-minute deal sale at Virginia ABC and save 20% on select 750-milliliter bottles. That's 20% off gifts for the hard to shop for. 20% off gifts guaranteed to fit. 20% off gifts to celebrate the season. And 20% off a little gift for yourself. Shop the last-minute deal sale at Virginia ABC. In stores and online now through December 21st. Please sip responsibly. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military and the other 99% of us we owe them online at americanveteranshow.com here's Stephen Tubbs Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope your Sunday and your weekend both going great so far. In the hour ahead, we've got another terrific new program for you coming up in another segment. We'll talk about in fact segment 2. Well, a veteran from the Iran hostage crisis, the mission that he was given to try to rescue hostages from the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, and a very interesting connection with maps. We'll talk about that. As we always love to do on the program, we will salute a World War II veteran a little bit later. And how about kids to the rescue of their ailing veteran father? We'll have that story as well. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, we can do programs just like this each and every week here on the American Veteran Show. Thanks to attorney John Boson at Boson Law, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. B-O-E-S-E-N-Law.com, BosonLaw.com. Their number, 303-999-9999. Before we get to maybe a segment that may seem like, hey, wasn't that, you know, a few days ago, we're going to actually have one final story. That came out on Veterans Day 2021, a message from a veteran. We'll get to that momentarily. But I do want to start with good news in a horrible situation, a story that we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the program. An American veteran attacked at an American Legion Hall near Akron, Ohio. Just wanted to give you an update. They had made one arrest as of two weeks ago, late last week. In fact, it was just a couple of days ago. Akron police said that a 19-year-old was arrested. So that's two of the three suspects that they have had. And, of course, one of the vets was injured severely. He will survive. Another two were slightly injured in this ridiculous attack. So may justice be served. And finally, let's get to that uh, message from a veteran directly to the commander-in-chief. This was delivered on Veterans Day. Mr. President, I need your help. My dear friend John is on a phone call and can't hang up. After serving 22 years in the military during the longest war in American history, I've faced just about every leadership challenge imaginable. I've held warriors in their final moments, escorted my fallen brothers home, and held their loved ones as they wept. But on this Veterans Day, with the collapse of Afghanistan, I have a leadership challenge I've never faced before. John needs help to put the phone down, 
and I'm not sure how to help him do that. He served five tours in Afghanistan, missing more birthdays and anniversaries with his family than he can count. As a Green Beret, he worked closely with Afghan partner forces for over a decade, recruiting, training, and leading them in combat. They risked their lives for him and he for them. They became brothers in the truest sense of the word. John lost many brothers in the war, both American and Afghan, and he blamed himself. When he retired, he worked hard to put the pain behind him. He moved far away from the army and began working in a shipping company. But apparently, he didn't move far enough. When the U.S. withdrew from Afghanistan, his nightmares resumed and the phone began to ring. Sir, began a desperate Afghan commando. The Taliban are all around me. Our generals ran away, took bribes, and left the country. The phone rang again. Sir, there are too many of them. Should I put my weapon down? And again. Sir, I don't want my family to be killed. I'll keep fighting. But can you help my family? Please. John knew who they were, and he knew where they were. And he knew that they all trusted him to get them to the airport, despite their family having to endure beatings at Taliban checkpoints. They trusted him to use his relationships, which would enable nervous U.S. guards to pull them from a sea of tens of thousands to enter the airfield and on to a new life. John stayed on the phone, spending endless days leveraging their discipline and loyalty to get their families to airfield gates where they waited for 18 hours with no food or water. But the gates never opened. John then organized the commandos and their families onto buses, engines running just outside the airport boundaries. He coordinated directly with senior military leaders inside the airport so they could simply drive through. Once again, the gates never opened. Mr. President, these Afghan warriors who fought until the last possible moment as others fled, watched our last C-17 airplane fly away while they sat on those buses. Then the nightmare really began. The commandos were hunted. Using pay records the U.S. government left behind, the Taliban went door to door searching for them. The Afghan commandos and their families hastily stuffed belongings into plastic bags and fled their homes. Every day, John received photos of children being beaten or videos of Afghan special operators being bludgeoned to death in front of their families. These images are difficult for the most hardened warrior in a combat zone to see, but for my friend John, already racked with years of survivor's guilt and post-traumatic stress, it was far worse. He watched these terrifying images from the sanctity of his own home. Place that was once his only refuge from the war he tried to leave behind. He witnessed this suffering at the breakfast table with his wife and children watching the despair spread across his gaunt face. The familiar tension returned. They thought it had all been left behind when John retired, but they were wrong. Relief never came. The military never came. There was no second shift. John is now a dispatcher on an 80-day 911 call being told, we're not sending anyone to that address. Do what you can to keep their morale up. This was unacceptable. We never leave a fallen comrade. John has too many years in the fight to break that promise. 
In the beginning, John called in sick at work, but no help came. As the days turned into weeks, he quit his job. Still, no help came. All the pain he had tried to escape came flooding back. Nightmares returned. Mood swings upended his family every time he watched a news broadcast. Thoughts of suicide crept in amongst the never-ending Afghan pleas for help. Leave no one behind. This is John's core ethos. And now, he can't hang up the phone for fear of letting them down, Mr. President. We are on the cusp of a moral injury that could decimate our veteran population. Moral injuries are the worst of all, for they are injuries of the soul. You can't help. You have the power to do this. He won't let go until you take this burden from him. John should not be doing this mission, and especially not alone. If the Department of Defense or the Department of State stepped in and handled this, he'd hang up the phone. I know he would. But he won't let this go until he is properly relieved. He can't let this go. And he is not alone. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of veterans trying to honor the promise to our Afghan partners. If you continue to let them carry this burden with no assistance... What will happen when the bullets and screams echo on the other side before the line goes dead? What happens when John's Afghan family simply doesn't call back one day? Our political and military leaders on both sides of the aisle have allowed our veterans to bear the cost of their institutional responsibility. This Veterans Day, we urge you and the politicians from both parties to come together Cross your differences, as our veterans did in this crisis, to step up and assume the responsibility for helping our Afghan partners find safe passage. We will work with you every step of the way. Only then can we find a sense of peace. Only then can John hang up the phone. That, a veteran's message to the commander-in-chief that was delivered earlier this month for Veterans Day 2021. We are just getting started on the American Veteran Show. When we come back, maps, the Iran hostage situation, and a United States veteran. That story straight ahead. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. American Veteran Show. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Glad you're with us on this Sunday on the American Veteran Show. Still to come on the program in our last two segments, a World War II veteran we highlight that comes up in our next segment. And at the end of the program, well, kids say the darndest things, right? Also, kids never underestimate them, and they are tremendous in the story that will wrap up this week's edition of the program. We hope uh, earlier this month you had a pleasant Veterans Day. And, of course, Monday through Friday on our regular program, we do our best to not only honor our active duty men and women, but our veterans as well. So I know it was a few days ago, but make sure that uh, you know that this program would not exist if it were not for our great veterans, military charities, nonprofits, and, of 
course, our active duty men and women, and we try to stay on top of military news each and every week. And if you miss an episode, of course, Matt puts up, say, today's episode will be up tomorrow evening at AmericanVeteranShow.com as we slowly wrap up Season 5 of the program. Every episode we've done to date is there at the new and improved website, again, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, I was maybe just a little more than 10 years old when, well, the Carter administration was in place and the Iran hostage situation was going on. I remember it vaguely, watching it on the news. How about this next story involving a United States veteran, hostages at the U.S. Embassy, and maps? I was part of a special mission unit. Our target was to rescue 53 American hostages inside the U.S. Embassy compound. We would rescue them, rally to a departure airfield, and bring them out safely from Iran. And I was the acting unit intelligence officer. Two of the maps we had were tourist maps. How come we could not produce better mapping of Tehran proper? Hi, I'm Shane Brendan. As a veteran, I understand how objects we brought back from service can be so meaningful. They can remind us why we served and what we did, or help us transition back to civilian life. Today I talk with a veteran whose object is a reminder that we can and should learn from failure. I served in the United States Army for a little over 20 years with the bulk of it being in the Army Special Forces community. I enlisted originally in 1961, and I retired as a captain. Why did you decide to enlist? I had a wild streak uh, going on in 1961, and it ended up with me losing all of my money playing the ponies. Consequently, I enlisted in the Army. So I want to talk a little bit about Operation Eagle Claw. I played a a great role in trying to get at least two of the maps produced and turned into the special plastic and then issued to people going in on the mission, both air crews as well as the ground force, in the event that they would need them to evade and escape. I'll hold one up for you right now. Oh, great. Tehran, okay. This is a tourist map of Tehran City. And there is another tourist map of Iran. It was a very complex mission that required two plus nights in in order to execute. We were using helicopters that were not state of the art. And in addition, they had no air refuelable capability. But nonetheless, we were going to give it a try. Personally, I did not feel that we had a great chance of success, but when the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States, tells you to go, you salute smartly and you go. Late yesterday, I canceled a carefully planned operation which was underway in Iran to position our rescue team for a later withdrawal of American hostages. Equipment failure in the rescue helicopters made it necessary to end the mission. As our team was withdrawing after my order to do so, two of our American aircraft collided on the ground 
following a refueling operation in a remote desert location in Iran. To my deep regret, eight of the crewmen of the two aircraft which collided were killed and several other Americans were hurt in the accident. Instead of putting you know, the failed mission behind you, you've been very open and willing to talk about it. What I decided uh, was to share lessons learned from the failed EcoClaw mission because there are a lot of lessons to be learned. Lessons not only in how to plan, but lessons in resource capability, and last but not least, lessons in leadership. And so over the years, I have felt an obligation to talk about the mission, to point out the good and the bad, and how we've corrected some of those deficiencies. Why are the maps that you kept so important to you? They're a reflection on uh, several things. First off, we expended the entire stock of that special plastic in, in the U.S. inventory. And at the time I learned that, I scratched my head and, and said, we are that unprepared. In order to have a good capability, you've got to devote some resources to it. When I talk to members of Congress, when I talk to their staff, I continue to push the fact that defense is not cheap. It tells me, stand in the face of bureaucrats that think they have a solution, but have no reality in terms of how that solution will actually operate on the ground. I've kept the maps throughout the years but this mission occurred years and years ago, and I, I'm beyond having it have a psychological impact on me. But uh, the other thing is, that at my age, it's time to start getting rid of uh, different artifacts. I've agreed to donate two of the maps to that Silent Warrior Foundation fundraiser. So hopefully that'll bring in thousands of dollars to help the youth of our country. They're the future of our nation. Fascinating story, that from PBS. As we continue on the American Veteran Show, we got to take a time out. And when we come back, as we always love to do, we salute and highlight members of our greatest generation, World War II veterans. But first...
American Veterans Show. We continue now with Stephan Tubbs. Happy Sunday afternoon to you. Thank you so much for any time you give us here on the American Veterans Show. Again, our new and improved website, AmericanVeteranShow.com. It is our sincere pleasure, always, to highlight members of the greatest generation. Well, on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon, we just got through with our Sunday lunch, and, and then we heard it on the radio that we'd been attacked by the Japanese Pearl Harbor. I said, well, they can't do that to us. We've got to go whip them. The attack of Pearl Harbor, Harry Robin Ledeker joined the millions of Americans fixated on defending their country from the Axis forces' quest for global domination. Though he was underage at the time, Robin was ready for the day when the draft would call his name. He wouldn't have long to wait. I was young, was still 18, graduated from high school in May, turned 18 in May, was drafted in May, was on active duty in July, 1943. I was in the Navy, took boot camp, Farragut, Idaho. Did a lot of marching and went on the water and rode a boat. (laughs) And so we were there for a little bit and they assigned me to the hospital corps school. I was a hospital corpsman. And then after that, they broke us up and sent us overseas. And we sailed to the South Pacific. We sailed to uh, Fiji Islands. As we were coming into Fiji, I thought it was the most beautiful places I'd ever seen. The mountains came right down to the ocean, and it was beautiful. We got down on the dock, and I thought, boy, this is going to be nice. And anyway, we walked down the gangplank, walked straight out down the gangplank to another ship, got aboard it, and then we went to Guadalcanal. Now a major base in the Allies' campaign to combat Japan's Pacific conquest, Guadalcanal had been a hard-fought victory, especially for the United States Marines. The brutal six-month-long battle was the Marines' first encounter with the ferocity of the Imperial Japanese Army. On August 7, 1942, the Allies landed some 11,000 Marines on the shores of Guadalcanal, who in turn began to make quick progress. But just two days later, before supplies and additional troops could be deployed to the island, the Allied fleet endured a surprise attack from the Japanese Navy. Three American cruisers were sunk, another three ships badly damaged, and the fleet withdrew from the island. Insufficiently supplied, and with no reinforcements, the Marines were stranded, left to face an enemy who was not about to go quietly. But by February of 1943, 
the Japanese forces were defeated, and the Allies had their first significant foothold in the war in the Pacific. And then I was assigned to a medical supply facility on Guadalcanal, and we were right next to a stationary hospital. We supplied them with medical supplies, and any ship that came into the harbor, we filled their their requisitions. The only thing I came close to having actual, uh, I don't know, combat, I guess, when we first got there for about a week or two weeks on Guadalcanal, there was a plane came over, and it was a Jap plane. He would drop a bomb out in the jungle and then fly off. And the next day, do the same thing. That went on for maybe a week or two weeks. Never heard about him anymore. Although Robin was relatively safe from harm, he would soon experience the realities of war after a fateful encounter on Guadalcanal. I got to tell you this story, and I may tear up saying it. I was driving down the street one day, and... uh, there were two guys walking along the street. I looked at them and I, well, I know those guys, they're from home. This one guy, especially, Bruce Hollenbeek, he lived about a half a block from me and we were good friends in high school. I went to the Navy and I didn't see him, but I saw him there, he was a he was a Marine. And, and I said, what are you guys doing here? He said, well, we're on R&R. We're about ready to go back to our unit. I said, what can I get you? Can I get you anything? Well, we'd like to have a sheet. We hadn't slept under a sheet in six months. I said, well, I can do that. I said, I'll meet you after the movie tonight. The hospital always put on a movie, and we went to the movie. Usually at night, that was the entertainment. Anyway, we met at the movie, saw the movie, and I gave him a sheet. And then they said, well, and by the way, Robin, we're leaving in or first thing in the morning, we're going back to our unit. And I said, oh, well, that's great. I said, uh, when we get through this war, let's all meet in Dying Fessler. That's a drugstore that had a soda fountain. And I said, let's meet there and have a cold Coke after the war. And Bruce looked at me. <laughs> and he said... Robin, I'm not going to make it. I said, Bruce, don't talk like that. He says, yes, you are. He says, no, Robin, I'm not going to make it. And I looked at him and I said, well, God bless you. Shook his hand, turned around and walked off. He was killed four days before his 19th birthday. That's part of war. War is terrible. They they shouldn't shouldn't have wars. We ought to be able to figure out something not to have wars. We were there for a year on Guadalcanal, and we were getting so far behind the front lines 
that they said, we're going to close your unit. And we all had in orders to go aboard ship for the invasion of Japan. We were sleeping in tents, and uh, some guy came along and said, wake up, wake up, the war's over, the war's over. Nearly four years since the attack on Pearl Harbor, Japan was finally defeated to the point of unconditional surrender. The war was over, and Robin was going home. Over 75 years later, the events of the Second World War continued to have a profound effect on Robin, particularly the memory of those who laid everything on the line. That's another reason why I was honored, felt honored to come to this. My brother was a prisoner of war about six months. He was in the Army. He was captured in the Battle of the Bulge. So that's one reason why I'm here today is... I want to honor him and, and Bruce. I just think it's, uh, it's a good thing to, to give something to your country. And uh, I've never regretted what I've been in the service. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my service and proud of my country. Always terrific to highlight and salute and honor our World War II veterans, members of the greatest generation, we are forever in your debt. We will wrap up the program coming up with a couple of sisters that are doing something great for their dad. That's next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. We wrap up the American Veteran Show this Sunday. A couple of great stories straight ahead. One, definitely, that will concern you when it comes to China, and then we'll end the show with a heartwarming story. I want to give a brief shout-out and a salute to the folks at CDOT. They have dedicated the Tuskegee Airmen who fought in World War II, of course, interstate signs that are now up along I-70 at Dahlia and I-270. September 29th was the official date, but it was way back in 2006. I-70 between York and Peoria streets here in Denver. It was named the Tuskegee Airmen Memorial Highway in honor of those first black aviators in the United States Army Air Corps. The group was founded back in 1941, ceased operation in 1946 but not before flying more than 15,000 missions during World War II. And some of my greatest moments and and biggest honors have been to meet the Colorado-based Tuskegee World War II veterans. As we continue, here's a story we should all be concerned about this recently on Newsmax. The Chinese military is building replicas of U.S. naval ships. The images reveal a full-scale outline of the Ford-class aircraft carrier and at least two other American warships parked at a new target range complex. This comes as a new report unveils images of another high-tech Chinese aircraft, which may launch as soon as February. Joining me now is retired Green Beret and Florida Congressman Michael Waltz. Congressman Waltz, welcome. Yeah, good to be with you. Thanks. 
So what do you make of these latest aggressions? You know, earlier today, hours after a U.S. delegation of lawmakers landed in Taiwan, Beijing conducted combat readiness drills. How should the United States respond? Well, look, I think, you know, as a country, we need to wake up to the fact that President Xi leading the Chinese Communist Party is in a Cold War with the United States. He is openly telling his country to prepare for war. Uh, He, in his most recent speech, uh, essentially sent the message to Taiwan uh, that they will become part of China once again, either by diplomacy or by force. One way or another, it's going to happen. Uh, And what you're seeing in this testing of these missiles against U.S. aircraft carriers is China now preparing to stop the United States Navy should it choose to intervene. The other piece is we need to wake up to the fact that the Chinese Navy is now larger than ours. They are launching more into space than the rest of the world combined, including the United States. They have a rapid, rapid nuclear buildup. Uh, The Chinese Communist Party is preparing to be the dominant world superpower uh, in the next decade. And the irony of it all The sad thing of it all is that they're doing it with our money, with U.S. taxpayer dollars. Uh, Between the COVID stimulus that's flowing into Chinese manufacturing, between the trade deficit of half a trillion dollars a year, uh, and particularly with Wall Street and so many woke U.S. corporations that want to protest voting integrity reforms in places like Georgia and Texas, but yet want to turn a blind eye Uh, to uh, Chinese human rights abuses that are just far worse uh, and are egregious. That recently on Newsmax. And from talking about the Chinese, Dateline Germany, a 96-year-old woman is currently on trial where she is accused of 11,000 counts of accessory to murder at a Nazi concentration camp. Now, it's been more than 75 years since Ermgard Furchner was... Involved, apparently, and allegedly involved in that Nazi death camp where more than 60,000 were killed. But how about for just an unbelievable twist to the story? At 96, in a wheelchair, in custody, she tried to make a run for it. She actually hopped on a taxi. She didn't show up in court, and she was picked up by cops later. I say, regardless of her age, if she did the crime, I don't care how old you are, you better do the time. And I told you we would end the program on a positive note. How about these two sisters? This from the Today Show. She can be very sneaky when she <laughs> wants to. She got stole candy from my bedroom without me knowing and then got caught. I have a big sugar tooth. She's got a giant sweet tooth. Something about Gabby is when I need her, she's always there for me. Thank you. 10-year-old Gabby Rodriguez and her 7-year-old sister Ava are thick as thieves, doing what most sisters like to do. Giggling, playing, helping each other with chores, and of course, dreaming of owning a pony. You guys like horses? I love horses. Mommy said if we move, I can get a horse. Oh! That would be me. What about your horse? A pony. A pony and a horse. Her name would would be Peppermint. A seemingly carefree childhood, but they are also the daughters of one of our nation's wounded warriors. Girls, if daddy flops like a fish, what do do you do? Call 911 and then call you. 
right, call 911 and call me, right? Their dad, Jorge, a Navy corpsman attached to a Marine unit in Iraq in 2007. He was wounded from two IED explosions, which left him with a traumatic brain injury, seizures, and post-traumatic stress disorder. His wife, Jessica, quit her job as a hospice nurse to care for him full-time. You try so hard to protect your kids from everything. You don't want them to see their dad any way other than a hero or, you know, being able to walk and talk and play and dance with them. Girls, how do you know if it's a good day or a bad day? Daddy. We ask what's the weather like today. And if he says it's sunny, we know he's happy. But if he says it's stormy and rainy, we know he's, he's not feeling really good. So on a stormy day, you know to give him a little rest and space yeah. and hugs and lots of love and hugs and it can be a heavy load for such young children to understand why their dad is sick even when he doesn't look sick Gab, why don't you tell them what you say to your friends when when you talk about dad's boohoo on his brain it's like a bruise as soon as you get it it's really hurts sometimes it leaves a scratch or a mark but others it just disappears it's like it's not there. But you know you've had it. You know it's been there. That explains it perfectly. You can have something hurt inside and it might not show on the outside. Gabby and Ava are two of over two million children living with a disabled veteran parent, helping with their caregiving. They have to do the stuff mom does, like, hey dad, did you take your meds? If we go out to eat, I'm like, did you bring your wallet? Did you bring your keys? Did you? lock the door. When we talk about military caregivers, a lot of times we're talking about the wife for good reason, but it's a family affair. These kids need support. They need the ability to connect with other kids like them. They need to know that they're not alone. The Rodriguez's have found help through Hidden Heroes, which provides information on resources to help the whole family. It's very calming like Gallup NYC in Queens, New York, which provides therapeutic horseback riding for veterans and their families. And doesn't it lighten your burden, Mom, a little bit when you know the kids are also being cared for, having that burden carried a little bit for you as well? When your kids can tell you they're happy, when they can tell you that horse therapy is working for them, or they meet other military families and they can say, yeah, me too, and let me show you what can help. That's where the moment says to me that we have made it as a community. You've come a long way, haven't you? Yes. It, it, was, it wasn't just me, it was the family, you know. You have to let yourself know, you know what, we need help. I need help. Reaching for help requires its own strength. Yeah. A strength and pride his young daughters already possess. And what makes me proud of my dad is he doesn't take no for an answer. And if someone says no to us, he's like, excuse me, our girls can do anything. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of what happened. And that's what makes our family so different from the rest of the world. That's what makes us, us. Awesome story there. Thanks so much for your time this Sunday. Don't forget to visit our new and improved AmericanVeteranShow.com website. For producer Matt Steinkruger, I'm Stefan Tubbs. Have a great week ahead. And remember our troops. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. 
For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. Join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season test your skills on prize picks the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports just select two or more players pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats and place your entry it's as easy as that if you have the skills you can turn ten dollars into 250 dollars with just a few taps easy gameplay quick withdrawals and injury insurance on your picks are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.